You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, welcome, everybody. So excited to have you all back uh, for another episode of the show here and we have another special guest with us here this week. James, you want to say hello? Hi, my name is James. You've just you've just told everybody I'm James Reed. Welcome, James. The there, there's Night more podcast. to you than that. Which oh, which podcast, podcast are you with? Yeah, so I, it's a super creative name. Um, you know, we talk about science at night, so I've decided it's Science Night. Um, yeah, there's awesome. a long story behind it, but we're just going. We could get the dot com, so why not? Yeah, Fair. I mean, you have a nice, I succinct uh, website. Why don't you tell everybody what your website is? My website is cyanite.com, where you can find like all of our old episodes. We got merch. We got some fun cone snail merch. I think you talked about cone snails in an older episode. <laughs> we so did, yeah. We got, we got Nine Inch Snails t-shirts waiting to be purchased by everybody. I saw your Nine Inch Snails t-shirts. Oh, Those are snazzy. That is, that is the real amazing. triumph of my career so far. So what if if people want to check you out in your uh, native environment? What uh, what's your your quick uh, you know sort of spiel for folks on what Science Night podcast is all about? Yeah, so the Science Night podcast uh, we have like two parts of every episode. One, we try to talk to a scientist or group of scientists about their work, so we can mm-hmm. like kind of make the person doing science seem a little bit more accessible and not like this like nerd in a room or like the science god that just goes on like big television shows and mm. then we also talk about science news and events so that we can uh keep everyone up to date and you know obviously we're trying to get clicks so we choose some of the weirder or uh <laughs> harder to explain things so yeah that's 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 uh awesome. where we're going with that's really cool. Well, you are speaking our language here when you talk about <laughs> weird. So we are excited to see what you came up with this week. Uh, I'm kicking things off. And, you know, James, uh, you, you did, I mean, I haven't heard this yet, but last week um, I talked about how uh, slime mold created the complex structure or was able to recreate the complex structure of the Tokyo subway system. Yep. Which weird sounds very strange. You got to check it out if you haven't heard it. Yeah. Um, and also like how simple choices or small changes in nature can end up having big effects uh, or create very complex systems as the end result of these little simple choices. And um, it's you know certainly true on a small scale with something like how slime mold moves, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also true when it comes to uh, complex systems, like the complex systems of our bodies. Uh, it's certainly also true of even larger scale uh, for things like ecosystems, right? So... Small changes or choices can lead to the formation of complex systems. And complexity is just one of these emergent properties of life, which is super cool. So with that in mind, uh, I want to tell you both a story this week uh, that beautifully, I think, shows this in action. Our location is familiar, a place we've all uh, visited together, at least in our minds, uh, collectively here on the show. We're going back to Yellowstone National Park. Fascinating. Beautiful place. (gasps) 
Is it what I think it is? I think I know what you're going to be talking about. Oh my gosh, keep going. Yes. I love it. I, I'm, I'm super curious now. Step one is the two-step reveal right here. I know. I'm super curious now. Well, well, I'll give you some clues, Rachel. Okay. Okay. All the characters in the story are familiar as well. Mm-hmm. And we've covered them all on the show. Uh, we're talking about wolves, mm-hmm. mountain lions, mm-hmm. and Toxoplasma Gondi. Love it. Okay. Is that where you thought I was going? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. Um, <laughs> now, unless you have a great memory of every show we've ever done, and you know, like nearly all 300 topics we've covered, um, that last one might not roll off the tongue like wolves and mountain lions. Uh, Victoria talked about this, uh, which is a parasite, uh, back in episode three. Toxoplasmosis. Episode three. Episode three. That was like the, the cat urine thing, right? The Yeah, the, the episode's called The Cat Made Me Do It. Ah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's actually something found in cat feces, not cat urine, just to okay. be clear on that. I don't have a great memory owners. for the 300 near, near 300 topics that we have done. Yeah, it's getting tough. Um, cat owners, maybe you, you said this already, but cat owners may be familiar with this parasite. It is found in cat feces. Um, it's believed actually that up to 50% of the global human population may be infected uh, with this parasite. Um, in the U.S., though, that's, it's thought to be closer to 11%. So obviously... The infection rate in different countries varies quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so a pretty big question people have is, does being infected matter? Uh, in humans, they are doing some studies on that. You know, we're not totally sure what all the ramifications are. You certainly don't seem like sick from, from having it. Um, but the question is, could it be altering your behavior? Um, we know from studying animals that when you study mice that are, for example, infected with the parasite, they're actually more attracted to cats. Right. Which is bonkers uh, that mice would want to be attracted to cats. But um, if they're eaten by the cats, then the parasite gets back in the cat's body and the whole life cycle of the uh, um, parasite continues. So there's been a number of studies that showing also that rats, when they're infected, are more likely to take risks. Um, and there's some speculation that that may also be true in humans so the question is does that does that matter is risk taking i don't know risk taking to me seems like kind of vague when you hear someone say that like taking risks what does that mean are you more likely to go skydiving or more likely to like yeah i'm gonna just put extra ketchup on my meatloaf like (laughs) risk taking can take lots of forms right so like what are we really talking about yeah Uh, well one study that has been replicated a number of times isn't about toxoplasmosis. It's actually about acetaminophen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they've shown multiple times that when you take acetaminophen, um, it actually changes your risk behavior. Uh, so there was kind of a silly study that I was reading up with the details on it. They actually had people looking at a computer screen and you had like a balloon on there. And every time you push a button, like say the space bar or something like that, um, the balloon would inflate a little bit more on the screen. And you can push it as many times as you want, and it will, but it could pop if you push too many times. Mm-hmm. You get five cents every time you push the button, and the balloon inflates a bit more. But if it pops, you lose all the money. Okay. And, it, and it's not even real money, right? This is like, it's, it's fictitious right. money. So the stakes are real low <laughs> to, be, to begin with. But they do tell the, the participants, you know, that your goal is to try to get as much money as possible. 
And some of the participants, they give them acetaminophen beforehand, and some they don't. And they found a correlation that the people who got the acetaminophen uh, were more likely to push the button more and, and risk getting closer to popping and thus actually maybe get more money or maybe they popped the balloon, right? It, mm-hmm. That wasn't really clear, but it was that they were more likely to, to push their luck and take that risk if they'd taken acetaminophen. So one of the things that was interesting about this is they also showed that it wasn't that you're more likely to take risks. The medicine doesn't make you take risks. It alters your perception of how much, how much risk you are taking. So you go, this doesn't seem that risky. And then you take what you think is a completely, you know, normal move for you. Uh, but really your sense of the risk has been altered. It hasn't actually made you necessarily take that risk on. Does that make sense? It's kind of a subtle yeah. difference, but I think kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the question, though, is that's pushing a little button at like a balloon blowing up on a screen when none of your money is on the line. Like, so that's pretty low stakes as far as risk goes. And I was curious, does this have any like real world consequences? Um, right. So whether we're talking about, you know, taking Tylenol, uh, which is what acetaminophen is, or whether you're infected with a parasite, does having different perception of risk make a difference? Well, let's get back to our cast of characters from the beginning from and maybe we can answer that question. Go back okay. to Yellowstone. There are mountain lions in Yellowstone Park. Uh, it's probably more well known for the wolves, but there definitely are mountain lions in parts of the park. Mm-hmm. And the ranges of those lions overlap with the wolves. Um, and the mountain lions are the carriers of the parasite. And wolves who come into contact with their feces can become infected and become a host for the parasite as well. So, um, you know, we can speculate, are, these infe- are wolves that are infected more likely to take risks? And what would that look like? What would happen? Um, would this impact just that wolf? Or would it have any kind of wider ecosystem level effect? Turns out, being infected as a wolf, it makes a huge difference uh, to not just to that wolf, but to the scale, uh, on the scale of the whole ecosystem of Yellowstone Park. Huh. An article came out last month. Uh, this is in the November 2022 issue of Communications Biology. And the title, uh, I'm going to say, is, not surprisingly, a bit of a snoozer. Uh, <laughs> it was called Parasitic Infection Increases Risk-Taking in Social Intermediate Host Carnivore. You know, Doesn't the that sound like right off the tongue. I think it Woo, what a page turn under print, right? Um, Perfect. Yeah, it's it's there's really not something. even a colon um, in there. I mean, how is it a science no, article? Not even a colon. colon. It is. It is pretty concise for a science yeah. journal uh, title. I will give them that. Um, it doesn't really make you want to go. Ooh, I bet there's something really <laughs> interesting in here to read. Um, but here's a, a quote just from the the abstract. Actually, although this this is um, open uh, source, you can actually go and get the. Uh, um, open access, sorry, this is open access, you can get the whole uh, thing. But in the abstract, they do say, quote, we used 26 years of wolf behavioral, spatial, and serological data, which is blood, basically, blood mm-hmm. work, um, to show that wolf territory overlaps with areas of high cougar density was an important predictor of infection. Okay. Makes sense. Not too surprising, that part. But they go on to say, in addition, seropositive wolves meaning those infected, were more likely to make high-risk decisions, such as dispersing 
and becoming a pack leader. Both factors critical to individual fitness and wolf vital rates. So there it is. Wolves that live in areas that overlap with mountain lions and are more likely to end up infected with the parasite. And those that become infected are more likely to become the leaders of their own packs. That's wild. Which... yeah it's totally wild it's like you think here's this wolf and it has split off to become this bold leader and form its own pack and part of the reason why is that it's got this infection that it doesn't know about it it's probably just thinking oh you know the risk is it's worth the the reward in this situation right Mm -hmm. and there are definitely wolves that split off and form their own packs probably that aren't infected but more often than not we find the ones that are the uh the pack leaders are the ones that are infected, which is hmm. sort of mind-blowing to me to, to see that kind of uh, connection. You think about something as wildly complex as like the number of packs and the structure within those packs within Yellowstone Park is actually being driven by a parasite like that's yeah. found in the litter box of your cat at home. That is weird, like super weird. Uh, it's a very cool study. Uh, it shows that life is more complex. Ecosystems are more complex than we imagine. Um, and it isn't just all these individuals making choices that are 100% under their control. Uh, the complexity of our world like, is a result of millions of factors constantly at play. And sometimes uh, something as simple as essentially an invisible uh, parasite can help shape entire ecosystems. So the interaction between species is often, often invisible. Uh, you know, even from like big animals and stuff, but mm-hmm. sometimes those invisible ecological interactions end up having major implications for like the complete structure of the environment as we see it and study it. So that's super cool. Um, that's that's all I have today. I just thought this was a really cool study that showed this like bizarre relationship. Uh, I listed my source for the journal article uh, earlier, but um, if you want for some reason to read up on the acetaminophen study, um, that was an article called um, uh, Effects of Acetaminophen on Risk-Taking. Mm-hmm. Again, very succinct title on that one. That was in the July 2020 issue of Social, Cognitive, and Effective Neuroscience. Uh, so that's what I got. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Kirk. Sure. We're going to take a quick little break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from James. Woo! See you soon. Yeah, applause track. You know, people always ask me, Rachel, how do you come up with all of these different topics? Mostly the internet. But also, I got my interest in all of this by being at my local library as a kid. So this week, I would love for everyone to go and support their local library. Uh, oftentimes, they have books, community events, and even audiobooks available for borrowing. So go check it out. Now back to the show. Welcome back. Tonight, I, I think we're going to take a little bit of a journey, some twists and turns. Basically, I've created a two-act play that Ooh. is going right. to... Tell us about everyone's new favorite synthetic, maybe uh, robots, I don't know, organisms that okay. have been called the Xenobots. 
which is oh, like oh yeah i've heard yeah, of these we're ready to like we're ready for saturday morning cartoons just with the name alone like disney is probably oh ready to, i want the action yeah. figure you know the poster on my wall yeah. i can Xenobots already see like the 80s throwback lunchbox we're 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 really rocking here oh absolutely it sounds amazing <laughs> it reminds me of xenon i'm not gonna lie <laughs> okay I don't think there's any Xenon involved, but uh, maybe. No, but like the, no. just the name makes me think of Xenon. Well, let's let's talk about where the name comes from, because I thought yeah. it was just like some kind of nod to like uh, the the Alien series, like the, oh. the Xenomorph. The Xenomorph. It is not. Oh, Xenomorphs? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe we'll get there by the end of this this uh, play. So nothing's going to burst out of my chest cavity. Is it James? We, we had that two wait. weeks ago on the show. Oh yeah. Okay. We'll get there. Oh, not boy. yet. So not, not yet, yet is the answer. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> but the, the Xenobots get their names because they are derived from the stem cells of the African clawed frog, which Latin name is Xenopus Lavis. And there it is. Yeah, there mm-hmm. you go. We got the African clawed frog. If you want to learn more about the African clawed frog, man, we talked about that a lot in the podcast. They can get it to grow teeth because that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about frog that. Teeth, yeah. uh, frog teeth are it's it's a it's a real situation. <laughs> I'm adding it to my list. <laughs> yeah. But the Xenobots are a uh, kind of an experiment from the the people that brought you Harvard University, Tufts University, and the University of Vermont, which I am not from the University of Vermont, but I'm from Vermont. So got okay. like a local flavor here too. All um, right. Yeah, so we got like two safety schools and the University of Vermont. So I think it's important <laughs> to kind of level set here. I feel uh, very safe tonight. Exactly. Okay. Cool. So they took... Uh, they took specific cells from the African clawed frog line. Specifically, they used skin cells and cardiac cells. The skin cells give the structure, they give the organism structure. The cardiac cells, they contract so they can move around their aquatic environment. They're basically like they're in little Petri dish- dishes with saline. Mm-hmm. So they okay. start with these cells, these cell lines, and then they used an AI program to kind of brute force their way to like the perfect design for specific tasks. And that's where like the robot thing comes into play, right? So we're having them uh, designed with a motion or some kind of task in mind. So they're not like actually programming the robots. They're not micro printing the robots, which was a big thing that was in the article. So I'm mentioning it. Okay. Uh, this this article was from Nature, so kind of a, like a lower uh, lower tier thing we're talking about here. Just the journal Nature. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. That's like the inside baseball joke, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Like nature. Uh, just yeah. some minor magazine. Just one of those. It's anyway. Cool. Yeah. So they had this AI program. It came up with a couple different designs. One of them is really good at like bringing clumps of stuff together so they'll put like little pellets in the petri dishes and the uh specific shape will kind of corral them all together so that's really nice for like sorting i guess uh and those those shapes look like pac-man and there's you know there's definitely (laughs) like not an act two twist with the pac-man shape so we can just use that as a throwaway 
and never come back to it again. So the Pac-Man shape is good at corralling you. things, right? <laughs> it's good at corralling things. If like a rogue cherry gets into it, I think it can kind of like gobble that up. <laughs> okay. um, oh, pretzels, there have been cherries, no ghosts apples, yeah. at the University of Vermont since the Xenobots have been discovered. So very I good think correlation right there. Yes. Yeah. Totally <laughs> means then, causation. Probably. You know, it's it's science. Why not? And uh, you know, then there's another there's another design that has like these little flagella, which are te- technically for motion, but they're actually slower than the Pac-Man uh, shaped oh, Xenobot. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it didn't work out then. <laughs> it didn't work out. Yeah, I guess so. It can move for a longer amount of time, but in a okay slower manner. And then there's like a more robust shape that is for transport. I guess so we got like the truck. We got the Optimus Prime, like truck and xenobot too yeah we're really creating our our team here um yeah so they create these xenobots they have these like grand ideas of deploying them to like gather up microplastics in our oceans because they're great at sorting things we got pac-man just like going around our our polluted waterways and gathering up microplastics um, they talked about medical applications. They didn't like specifically say what medical applications they're going for. I'm assuming oh it's exactly like the movie Inner Space or like the old Body Wars ride at uh, uh-huh. Epcot Center. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Or like shrink <laughs> you down and send you in, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Like I'm, I'm assuming this is what we're going for. They're going not. Like, I just watched that episode of hey. Futurama like a week ago. Yeah. So. <laughs> I got to say, though, they're like, they're not, they're small, but they're not like that small. They're 0.4 millimeters. So, like, if you're going to okay. introduce that into the body, okay, we're not like hurt. talking capillaries exactly. Yeah, that's a pretty mm-hmm. big needle. Oh, um, wow. Right. I didn't even think about the needle size. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, it's a chonky xenobot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And so they found out that when they made these designs, things were growing great. Again, that Pac-Man one is just like scooting around the Petri dish. I got the video playing like on a loop now. I can't keep my eyes off of it. <laughs> it's just like swirling around, doing its thing. Uh, oh, it's got beautiful. the music going in the background. Pac-Man fever everywhere. Um, so they can work as a group. Yeah. They can work as a swarm, which is a word that was used in the popular reporting, not so much in the article. I'm sure there's a reason for that. Yeah. It's yeah. like uh, the CNN article used swarm a lot for some reason, I'm sure. I can't imagine yeah. why. I can't imagine why at all. Nah, this is... Yeah. And nope. they can self-heal, which is good, too, because there's, like, a lot of stem cells just, like, floating around their environment. You know, they're, like, they're created... But the building blocks are all around them, so they can use them to right. self-heal. But okay. in wow. the first article where they like broke the news of Xenobots, they were like they were really careful to say, hey, don't worry. We made these synthetic AI created uh life forms. Life forms. Mm-hmm. You know, synthetic AI organic robots was what they were actually like the this is coming from the scientist. Organic right. robots. It's fine. They can self-heal. They can work as a group. They have swarm mentality. They can be programmed with RNA, but it's fine. They can't, like, make their own Xenobots without us. We're in complete control. 
Yep. A few months later, uh, there it is. There was an article that came out that was like, "Hey, remember we talked to you about these Pac-Man-shaped oh, no. Xenobots that were real good right. at gathering stuff up?" Yeah. Well, they, they were do? so good at gathering up the stuff of Xenobot yeah. formation, these cells that are just around, that they could create new Xenobots. And they could create them in a shape which the Xenobot thought was most efficient, no longer that the AI thought was most efficient. So, what? <laughs> yeah. great. So, like, um, okay. so here's the two step reveal we have self healing organic robots that can now self replicate and have like gone past what the AI has decided is. And it's like yeah. iterative design going exactly. on. Exactly. So, so, so when when are they taking over? Well, that's what, at the Science Night podcast. We kind of have a Xenobot watch on. We just had an episode where we we're focusing <laughs> on AI. So we're like, by the way, the Xenobots have not yet taken over. We're oh, we're good. assuming they will. Yeah, uh, I mean, so we want to, get to clarify. To clarify, like the Xenobots do not have artificial intelligence. The scientists used right. artificial intelligence to help them exactly. figure out how to create yeah. them. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so there Rachel, is a... they're they're not real smart. Well, well, they made their yet. own, so they're working on it. That's right. You know, this is this yep. is like we're still in year one time. of Xenobot evolution. Yeah. So right. this is the more this is like the actual thing. If you're like in involved in any kind of evolutionary biology, it's it's not necessarily like the fact that they created their own version is pretty intense. It's the speed at which they got to that point. So we're talking like a couple right. months. Oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, Even better. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, we got evolution going in hyperdrives. There, there hasn't been any new articles um, about the Xenobots since this May reporting that they can self-replicate. I'm assuming it's because they've actually taken over the lab. I think but, they have, yeah. Well, I say, yeah, they just, yeah. They, they've gone, they, they've gone dark they and they, live yeah. in they the lab maybe now. they haven't learned how to write yet. And... You know, just to like kind of close out the story, the end of the subsequent Nature article telling us that Doom is actually impending. Uh, they ended it by <laughs> saying like, so they can self-replicate, they can self-heal, they can self-organize, but we could destroy them all really quickly. Don't worry. So I just, I <laughs> okay. kind of imagine we have a 24-hour watch by like some some undergraduate research assistant oh, like hand, hovering over a button that if they start hearing like Daisy Daisy, they just hit the fire and <laughs> the the entirety of Burlington, Vermont goes up in flames. Whoosh. Yeah. Sure. So Well if we hear about Burlington Vermont on fire, we'll uh maybe we'll know what's what's going down. Yeah. Uh, what we actually, you know, kind of linking it, linking the the threads all together, what we gotta make sure is that we can't get any Toxoplasma gondii into the petri mm -hmm. dish with the xenobots because now we got zombie then, synthetic robots uh, oh my gosh that'll start changing our behavior yeah yeah and if they get into wolves like if they start riding wolves think about that now oh we my got God. synthetic mounted cavalry <laughs> and what a terrifying <laughs> cavalry. leader wolves Ooh, yeah bonkers now assuming uh these can only survive under very specific conditions like in the petri dish, like well, it's they just have to like in a, yeah, it's water. They're in a, designed oh, it's all to saline. go into water. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, that's good because there's there's not much salt water on Earth, so no, we there's not be... much water sure. yeah. anywhere. No, 
We'll be no. safe here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Conversation, huh. there was an article on The Conversation that was uh, saying, you know, they could be medical marvels or they could turn the entire world into Grey Goo. So, I love you know, how optimistic uh, science, mm-hmm. one scientists or the other. can be. Mm-hmm. I'm going to advocate we, we take it easy on that one and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, play I mean, a little cautious, but, if, but fascinating. I mean, it, one of my researchers, like have learned so much about life and how life works by being able to create something like this and be able to watch these things happen under controlled circumstances. The amount of information and and learning that goes on must be incredible. Yeah, so it's one of those things where the popular reporting is wild and, you know, the science like is picking up on that side of it. Your brain's going to get melted by this experiment, you know. Yeah, the actual scientific reporting, except for when they found out they could self-replicate, they're a little concerned when they were writing those sentences. Like the materials sure. and methods were napalm and uh, oh. Like oh, good <laughs> orbital strikes. <laughs> uh, but you know, they're hmm. really just trying to see what can AI and stem cells do for us, really. Now, Which maybe is I'm really being cool infected. and very important, uh, and great research to be doing. But at the same time, I feel like this has similar vibes as the scientists from Jurassic Park. Exactly. Exactly. So, life uh, finds a way. Life uh, finds a way. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's the exact same that quite frog that they used in Jurassic Park. Oh, <laughs> oh really? good. Even better. Yeah. Yeah. The African clawed frog. So, I mean, it pops up in a lot of sciencey things just because we do have a genome for it. So mm-hmm. we use it as a, a filler. Like, you know, sometimes Jurassic Park's kind of real. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I say we like me. I don't use it as a filler. I. Nope. Yeah. Yet. I would never do such a thing. But uh I, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's all I got about Xenobots. No, yeah. I guess cool. if you want to read up on it, you can find it in the oh gosh, where is the year? The March twenty twenty one edition of Science. Sorry, I Ooh. said nature, it's in science. Oh, that's even oh, more well, that's fancy. just yeah. Uh, there was crazy. a nature article somewhere, but this isn't the one I'm talking about. Fabulous. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we'll uh, let's shoot to a break because I think we got to get Rachel. You ready to go? Let's do it. Awesome. See you in a minute. All right. So we're almost 100 episodes into this podcast, and I think it's time to talk about. I know, right? Uh, I think it's time to talk about something that while we as humans, we've kind of normalized this, uh, we don't think of it as really strange, but it's actually really bizarre. When we talk about organisms, we generally categorize them as when I'm talking like organisms like um, eukaryotic life, you know, Uh, we tend to like categorize things as like invertebrates or uh, things without backbones, or vertebrates, which is like things with backbones, right? Sure. Obviously, there are exceptions. People are crazy. Not people, but life finds a way. Um, (laughs) Life. Life is crazy. Uh, But we never really (laughs) stop to think about like the bone part of that uh, equation. And it's a shame, because bones themselves are absolutely fascinating. Like, the way that they work. Uh, is kind of insane. Anyway, uh, for so wait, is your topic bones this week? We're getting there. 
right. it, it takes just bones in general. Okay. We're just going to talk just bones. bones. Um, like, for example, uh, it takes weeks to months for humans uh, to recover from a bone break. Okay. And that break huh. will scar and there will be a scar on the bone uh, forever. Uh, our bones, oh, yeah, yeah. all of that. And then our bones actually help create blood, which is like a very distilled uh, description of the jobs that bones actually <laughs> of do. The process, yeah. It's very, very distilled. Um, but uh, do you, either of you know what the fastest growing bones are? In in humans or uh, in, in the, nature? In nature, in the animal world, not in humans. We're so slow. Fastest growing bones fastest growing bones um i mean i'll be honest i don't know i'm gonna guess it's an animal that develops quickly and gets big because it's got a long way to go Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go super niche i'm gonna say it's the uh i'm gonna say it's the uh let's see the humorous of the oh, great that is oddly specific this is very specific and i love it <laughs> uh if that it, was, it right. was not but, you know <laughs> i appreciate it very much um <laughs> no the fastest growing one of the fastest growing bones in the animal kingdom are antlers oh <laughs> of course god <laughs> yeah 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 antlers antlers um, but you know, that you remember that, uh, description that I are, I already did about how long it takes for us to heal from a break. Right. Uh, that's a bone that already just exists. A, just a, yeah. Simple break. Okay? Simple yeah. break. Members of the, so the animals that have antlers are members of the deer family. A deer can grow in the same time frame It takes for us to heal an already healed bone or already like developed bone uh they can grow one and a half already formed foot, bone yeah, yeah or one and a half feet of new bone in that time frame that's cr- that's absolutely <laughs> just bizarre yeah so to give you that's even fast. more context uh they grow about a quarter of an inch of new brand new bone every single day that's oh. That's just deer. Quarter of an inch a day. Quarter of an inch when you, a day. When you stop to think about, oh, yeah, we're not even talking about, like, moose. Oh, and, I'm, I'm going to get to that. Are you lumping them all into... Oh, I'm going to talk awesome. about it. Awesome, okay. Um, which, for more perspective, that's six times the rate of our fingernails growth. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable somehow, <laughs> okay. Um, now, other members of the deer family, like elk, uh, grow can grow up to an inch of brand new bone a day and moose will grow because of how they grow their um, antlers they have palmate growth they grow a pound a day a pound a day all right which is Jeez, awful i don't like bone. that it is distilled into a pound I I think I could grow about a pound a day though if I really not a bone but just a not not a bone grow a pound of like, something a day depends yeah. on what pizza you're packing in yeah oh pizza so good right so yeah. if you oh 
oh, that'd be so cool. And if only we could turn it into bone. <laughs> so just think about it. Like very bony. Here, I don't know. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, just think about it though. Like if not only are you growing an entirely new set of bone, so you're a deer, you're growing an entirely new set of bone. If you're, especially if you're male, um, you shed them in the winter. Uh, you, just after you have already attracted the ladies you've made it may have been successful you show them in the winter only to then grow a new set the next spring so you're constantly growing these new uh new sets of bones which is just crazy it is quite strange when you stop and think about that that's that's the that's the solution nature came up yeah. with this is the most practical way to do it you know is to grow these massive racks and just drop them Mm -hmm. and just regrow the whole thing. Exactly. So how do they do it? You know, how do they grow these massive antlers that they then drop every single year? So a lot of this has to do with the nutrients that go into it. Um, When the antlers themselves are first being grown, what will happen is they actually are covered in this special velvet which is a tissue, or we call it velvet. Uh, and it's this tissue that covers the antlers in the spring. It's right. actually filled with blood vessels. Like it's very, very sensitive. And it's essential to the growth of the antlers. Um, like if something happens to the velvet or anything like that, it actually will damage and cause the antlers to grow malformed. Uh, so they have to be really careful. The velvet itself brings a lot more oxygen, nutrients, and blood to that area to allow it to grow. Eventually, what will happen is the velvet will get cut off from the blood supply as well as the rest of the antlers. And and then what will happen is those will technically die because bone itself is a living tissue. Like in our bodies, it's not dead. It's a living tissue. So these uh, bones, the antlers, will eventually harden because they will become a dead tissue that's hanging out on top of your head or the deer's head, not our head, I suppose. And what will happen is, yeah, I would hope. Right. I would hope as well. Uh, So what happens is the velvet actually gets rubbed off once they get to like their maximum height and growth size, which is dependent on genetics. Mostly Uh, it usually takes anywhere from four to six years for them to reach their maximum uh, antler growth size uh right like each year it gets a little bigger than the the previous year exactly uh and they will rub the uh velvet off because they no longer need that tissue and i I guess it's nicer and more attractive to the the females if it doesn't have the velvet on so they rub it off i'm sure it also itches like crazy oh it also looks right? like horrific as it's coming because you can just see like a deer walking through the yeah. woods with blood. Scrapes, exactly, it's uh, hanging off its antlers. It's astounding. wild. Um, so there's a couple of different it's theories. Majestic. Uh, yeah. So amazing. Uh, so there's a couple different ideas of why <laughs> they have such a high great uh, rate of growth. Uh, there was a paper, uh, a couple of resources, including. Um, this is a great website, uh, skeletonmuseum.com. <laughs> amazing. Okay. Uh, Love it. One of the potential reasons, just the name is amazing. Uh, one of the reasons is 
related to the genes that are found within that are responsible for antler growth. And eight of those genes are related to bone cancer, have been linked to bone cancer. Oh, fascinating. Which makes a lot of sense because cancer itself, yeah, it does. very distilled version, very bare basics. Cancer is just the uncontrolled replication of cells. So if you're like trying very rapid, very, very growth, rapid. Yeah. So if you are trying to create a lot of bone cells to make antlers, it's kind of a bone cancer. But you would think that maybe that very could, controlled. it's very controlled because they do actually have yeah. really, really good inhibitor genes that control that rate very, very carefully. And they actually have a lower, deer have a lower instance of cancer than other mammalian species, which is interesting. Fascinating. I got to imagine that's something that is being very carefully and closely studied. Absolutely. Just because, I mean, yeah. it's such a problem everywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's right. too tailor-made. Um, nature tailor already has this figured out. Let's, uh, let's get on that and... Iterate that design. Exactly. Maybe the nanobots. No, no, never mind. Never mind. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> or the xenobots. Yeah, we, we, xenobots. What we sorry. have to do is keep this growth. We have to keep the growth away from the xenobots because we can't get like one pound of xenobot. Oh, I bet you could. <laughs> but would that be good? Exponential, That'd be bad. <laughs> exponentially. No, we can't have that. I mean, I mean, it doesn't. It depends on how what side you're on on the Xenobot fight, right? Maybe, maybe this is the, this is the uh, <laughs> the Rubicon we're about oh, no. to cross. Oh boy! All right. Oh dear. But antlers. Antlers. Um. So, one thing that's yeah. really interesting to me, at least, too, is the fact that antlers actually do they fall off every season. They go through all of this effort to be able to grow these antlers, and then they more or less once the velvet is lost the bone itself is dead so eventually after they've made it and everything and it's actually um this is controlled by the amount of daylight that the deer are exposed to so deer okay. species in the northern and way southern regions uh they shed them in the winter because they they don't they're not getting as much uh sunlight but the ones who are in more uh temperate areas or not temperate tropical areas they can okay grow and shed them at different times depending on uh whatever it is or they might not shed that those antlers at all huh yeah interesting uh so what happens is the bone at the base at the base of their skull it's called the the petiole, yeah, okay, uh, is actually destroyed at uh, by osteoclasts, uh, which is ca what causes the antlers to fall off. So osteoclasts huh. are pretty much they're cells that break down dead bone. Is the bare bones of that? Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Uh, just. So, are they made out of calcium? Ooh. I just gotta, I gotta know. Are antlers made out of yes. calcium, like yes. our bones? Yeah. So a lot of that is something that comes up all the time is like antlers and horns and things like that. Antlers are bone. 
uh, when they are first starting to grow, the growth happens at the tip of the antler itself. Uh, and that's initially cartilage, but eventually is replaced by bone tissue. Um, but it is and their horn is keratin, right? Yes. Horn yeah. is like a nail. Yeah, a yeah. horn would be like a goat. Um, they have right. what a horn is, they never shed those. It actually has bone on the inside, and the outside is a keratin sheath. And they never shed those. So crazy. If what I understand, the calcium comes from the bones in the animal's body. Like they are stealing calcium from their other bones mm -hmm. to build more bones. So that's got to be. Yeah. Seems like a risky thing to be doing. It's pretty risky. Yeah. yeah. It, it's very energetically. Um, intense. intense. Yeah. That it's yeah. a bit much. But the benefits outweigh the um, the consequences of it. They get to show better. Um, they get to show their fitness to the females. They often will fight with those as well. They and they actually are able to protect themselves better against predation um, when they do yep, have yep. those antlers too. So. Wow, certainly cool. It's, I love when there's these topics that like, you don't, I mean, you don't think, oh, antlers, that's not that strange. But when you really right? start breaking it down and looking at all the little details, like it, it's pretty weird. It's very you know weird. I mean? We uh, never think about it. And it's absolutely bonkers. I'm just wondering if we need to make sure that deer are getting on like some kind of calcium supplement <laughs> regimen. They, uh, they probably do. So. Wildlife managers get on get on that. Yeah, they are able to. I mean, they definitely it. do seek out calcium during that time, and they mm -hmm. they, they will crave it. Yeah, and sure. okay. they can use it as a type. Like they are able to make calcium, like in a chemical sense, in their body for the antlers. But yeah, they they mm -hmm. have been known to gnaw on bones and things that they find, which is creepy. Really weird to watch. Sure. Yeah, I, I picture, you know, like a wolf gnawing on a bone, like a, a deer sitting there gnawing on a bone. That just seems all manner of wrong. Mm -hmm. A little bit more unwholesome, huh? Oof. Awful. Something's unnatural about it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe for like, you know, in the sense that don't do this, hunters, it's illegal. But if you're going to like try to get deer to a certain place, maybe instead of putting corn down or something, put some some uh, sentient... Centrum osteoporosis medication. There you go. And, uh, you'll have <laughs> That'd be better, way better. better luck. Uh, I yeah. mean, corn isn't good for deer in the first place. They can't really digest that right. anyway. So Yeah. But a multivitamin is great. <laughs> they would love it. <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't do that. Don't bait the Disclaimer. deer. That is like, actually do super this. illegal for multiple reasons. Yeah. But if you wanted to put out a Vermont sharp cheddar cheese. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> mm. Sounds amazing. All right. Well, that's all I have on antlers today. Um, I think that's it. Uh, James, is there anything you'd like to plug before we head out? I mean, everybody obviously go check out their really his really cool podcast, uh, Science Night, right? Science, Science Night. Night. Yeah, we are on 
everything that you listen to podcasts on. If you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, like send us an email and we'll try to get on it. But I'm I try to keep up on that. You can also go to cynight.com, S-C-I-N-I-G-H-T.com, where you got like all our past episodes and links and stuff like that. So there's a lot to see, and you can see it all on our website, cyanide.com. That's not rehearsed at all. (laughs) Very nice, very nice. All right. Well, thanks for being on, James. Uh, Thank you to everybody for listening. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. What is it? Who does it? Why does it matter? The Science Night podcast answers these questions by giving scientists a place to tell their story. We also highlight science news and discoveries that will have you asking, My God, what have I done? What weird thing are we going to talk about this week that involves a frog? They made an organic robot? Like, they never... Didn't they see the Matrix? Join us every other Friday, wherever you get podcasts and at Cyanite.com.